I think we're feeling good tonight. What a wonderful time of musical worship and worshiping in the Ciudad Hadon. Thank you, Pastor Mike, for that. Uh, wonderful to see all of you. You look beautiful tonight. It's a big night for us. We will be turning our attention to Passover tonight. Isn't that fun? And then for those of you that <clears throat> maybe have already heard, um, we're doing a community Passover Seder and meal this coming Thursday. If you want tickets to join us, too bad it's sold out. I'm sorry you can't get them. However, next year in Jerusalem, <laughs> try earlier next time. Um, no, if you, if you do need to join us, you want to join us, you can still join us online. Just go to our website, register. You can watch it live uh, even if you can't be in the house. And if you are part of a community group, then check in with your community group leaders and make sure you know all of the plans that are going on uh, in all of the community groups. So I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much. I had about two and a half week trip in uh, Europe to minister to all of our King of Kings partners and friends while I was there. So thank you to Pastor Wayne and uh, Pastor Mike, Ray, uh, Vaco, and uh, also to Jim who was here ministering last week. That was wonderful to have Jim uh, join us, one of the co-founders here of King of Kings. So uh, thank you guys for doing such a great job. And I bring you greetings from all of the King of Kings family. I was in Germany and Switzerland uh, and then Finland and then uh, to Denmark, to the Netherlands and a surprise trip to Belgium as well. So thank you guys for blessing. I hear we have a group from Finland here tonight. I would say group from Finland, can you make some noise? But I know you won't. And you, and you know, I know that because I just preached in Finland on Sunday. It was very quiet there, very gentle, polite people in Finland, very clean, very clean. Somebody said, what did you think about Finland? I said, it's very clean compared to Israel. Very kind people. They wait in line. It's really nice. They, it's a straight line. Very nice. They take numbers. It's really cool. I mean, it's like Ikea everywhere. You know, it's, I know it's not Sweden, but still it's close, you know. So thank you if you're here from Sweden. Listen, we have other guests today. Uh, Harvey Katz is here uh, somewhere. Harvey, Harvey, there you are, friend. I knew I saw you. Bless you and Diane. Thank you for being here tonight. Those of you that don't know Harvey, Harvey's been on our board and team for a long time and we're just so grateful for you guys and all that the Lord has done through you in order to bless us. So thank you so much. Also, I think the Smith family is here from Ebenezer. We bless you today. Thank you for being here as well. There you are. Hey, guys. Blessings to you. Yeah. So if you want noise, you just have to say a group from Brazil. And then they... Yeah. See, you got to know your people. You got to keep that ace in your back pocket for when you need it. No, listen, there's about 25 different countries joining us online, so welcome everybody watching on King's Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, around the world. We bless you, including those of you that are watching from Finland, may not be in the house, but you're also watching from Finland, and Japan. Japan is watching us tonight, so praise the Lord for that. Really, you know, there's normally about 40 countries represented from the house and online every week. Can we just say thank you to the Lord for that? I also wish you Shana Tova. It's a happy new year. Hopefully everybody knew that. While I was gone, we crossed into God's new year. Hopefully you're on the, you're on the 
the process with God's calendar, you kind of understand his, his cycles and symbols, and that's really what we're going to be focusing on tonight as well, the beginning of God's holiday calendar year. So let's begin with this. Sometimes in our life, we do things that are foolish. Can I get an amen? Maybe you would raise your hand and say, I did something foolish before. Maybe you would like to point at somebody near you and say, they have done something foolish. But listen, sometimes when, you, when we choose foolishness, we choose disobedience, we find ourselves in a situation that's not so good because of the consequences of that choice. I think we've all been there. Some of us are probably there right now in various scenarios. Those times can be avoided by wise decisions, biblical obedience, seeking the will of God in our life, listening to the Holy Spirit. They can be resolved by taking ownership of what we've done, repenting for our bad choices, asking the Lord to give us a way out of that place. That's how we can handle this. And at other times, and in other cases, perhaps we have not actually done anything wrong. Perhaps we have not chosen foolishly, and yet we still find ourselves in a very concerning place. At that time, you know, it's easy to look at ourselves in the mirror and think of ourselves with a pity party kind of attitude, like, why me, and why, how did I get here, and why is this happening to me? It shouldn't happen to me. I made better choices than this. But in the Bible, both scenarios are present. Those that are maybe by choice, we put ourselves in a foolish situation, and we're paying the, the price and the consequences for that. And at other times, we haven't done anything, and yet we're still in a challenging place. It brought to mind people like Job, we don't know that Job had done anything but be a faithful servant of the Lord. That was what the Lord said of him. We remember Lot, again, a faithful servant of the Lord, but had to pull him out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Daniel found himself in the lion's den. We never hear a bad word about Daniel. He hadn't done anything when he was in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all they did was obedience. They wouldn't bow down to an idol or a king found himself in the fiery furnace. Mordecai and Esther, we don't ever hear that they had done something wrong or that they had chosen foolishly or even that they had disobeyed God and yet they found themselves on the brink of extinction. A lot of pressure. We think about the prophets who were persecuted and murdered. We think of Yeshua himself having done no wrong and yet found himself arrested falsely accused, betrayed. Of course, he chose to sacrifice himself and to hang on that, that tree for us, but he hadn't done anything wrong. Then you look at the disciples and the future apostles. All of them ended up being martyrs for the Lord. They get a great reward in heaven, but what had they done wrong? What had they done foolishly? Nothing, according to the scriptures, had been done foolishly. And yet they found themselves in a challenging position. Now, in the history of Israel, we know that through a long period of time of persistent rebellion and idolatry and sin, 
that our people were then led into exile. In that case, we had done something. We had a long period of persistent rebellion and disobedience that led us to exile. In that case, there were consequences. It's not like we could blame someone else. At that point, we had to turn the finger and say, we did it, which is exactly what the latter prophets did. They took ownership of the situation, they repented, and they repented on behalf of the people, even using language of the we. We sinned, we broke the covenant, we walked away. And you say, did you do it? Well, no, not me specifically, but we the people. And God heard their cry. In another case with the children of Israel, they were in the land of Canaan and a drought and the famine hit the country. Now it included the whole region, which was an important nugget to pick up in the verse because it wasn't something that they had done this time. And that's why the Bible includes these little phrases from time to time, and you gotta catch them. Sometimes you're, you're reading the big story, and, and it's good to have the, the right context, but sometimes the Lord puts a little nugget in there just to make sure you heard what you should have heard. There was a famine and drought in Israel and all the surrounding region. He wanted you to hear that. So you would know which category you were in, because now you're in the category of they didn't do something specific. It included everyone. The whole region was impacted by this. They didn't walk foolishly. They didn't choose unwisely. This was not a consequence of that specific sin. Let me give you our first key phrase of the night as we begin to dive into the scriptures. Not every bad situation is a consequence of a specific sin that someone has committed. There are some movements some teachings that are becoming dangerously close to a line of faith that says, if something bad has happened, then you have done something wrong. But the Bible seems to take that thought and really bring clarity to it. I'm looking at the book of John chapter 9, if you want to turn there. John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. As he went along... He saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents have sinned, Yeshua said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, there it was. If you needed a basis for the theological discussion, he was born blind. Clearly somebody sinned. Who was it? Tell us. And Yeshua said, no, you're thinking about this wrong. No one sinned in this case. Sometimes bad things happen, challenging things happen because of the general nature of sin on the earth. Sin permeated the earth. It, it invaded the earth through Adam and Eve's choices and through Satan's enticement. It invaded the earth. And when it did, it began to change everything on the earth. It wasn't just the humans. You understand that we used to have a different body. There's always a funny joke that goes along with that. But we used to have a different body. We used to look different. We used to have different hair. (laughs) 
But we weren't the only things impacted. The animals were impacted. My youngest daughter asked me this, this morning, why did God make so many bugs? They're disgusting. And luckily, I had this verse right in my mind for tonight. I said, you know, sweetie, sometimes it's not that we've done something that a mosquito bites us or that a, a roach runs across the floor or that there's a spider on the ceiling and everyone freaks out. We haven't done anything. Sometimes it's just the general nature of sin on the earth that even the animals were impacted. They didn't used to bite us. They didn't used to have poisonous effect on us. And, but it didn't just stop at humanity and the animals. It, it went on to the earth itself. The earth was impacted. Even in Genesis in the Garden of Eden, the Bible recounts that once Adam and Eve sinned, he turns to Adam and says, now by the sweat of your brow, you will have to work for your food. Before that, you didn't have to work for it. The trees would, would blossom every month. You know, every fruit in the garden blossomed every month. You'll find that in the book of Revelation as it refers to it. So there wasn't even seasonal fruit. Now, Israel is really good at seasonal fruit. But if you've lived in Israel long enough, you realize that we only get seasonal fruit. Our first year... Here, I remember when we made Aliyah, our first year here, we were still kind of learning all of the, the ins and outs about that. And I can remember how excited my wife was when she got a, a WhatsApp group text that said, go to the store right now. They have limes. And as soon as somebody said they had limes, everyone was like, Whoever's going to the store, get me 50. I'll pay you later. It's seasonal, but it didn't used to be seasonal because sin impacted the earth. It changed the way the earth functioned. Seeds, rain, soil, grass, trees, fruit, veggies, everything was changed. We see that impact here that there was a drought in the land, but it wasn't something they had done. It was a general impact of sin on the earth. I'm thinking of the story of Joseph as we recount all of the people who didn't do anything specific and yet something bad happened to them. And I was thinking about Joseph. Out of jealousy of their brother, the sons of Jacob sold Joseph into slavery. Now it does not appear that Joseph had done anything sinful. Some people might argue that Joseph had, had done something foolish but it clearly says that out of the jealousy that his brothers felt, okay, it was a jealous motive long before it was anything Joseph had done. Jacob had certainly showed favor to Joseph above his brothers. Joseph was born to Rachel, the, Jacob's favorite wife. And then Joseph shares a dream with his brothers that, that put them in a position and in this position, he says, you're going to serve me one day. Now, maybe that was the foolish part. I don't know. But it seems like they were already jealous. I think at that point, they were already looking for a reason. You ever been around somebody that's looking for a reason? Whatever it may be. You give them the first little chance to 
find a crack in the, in the door and they're gonna run through it. I'm, I've been waiting for a reason. I've been waiting for a reason to get mad at you. Well, Genesis 37, verse nine says, then Joseph had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told this to his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. As we progress through the life of Joseph, of course, we, we find that he is sold into slavery by these jealous brothers, that he's in Potiphar's house. But while he's in Potiphar's house, he was a man of integrity. He was a hard worker. He did a good job. And, and even in the story, they say what a great job he did so that Potiphar made him second in command of all his possessions. Hadn't done anything wrong. Hadn't done anything foolish. Yet he found himself in a difficult situation Later, we find out that he's a good-looking young man, and Potiphar's wife tries to entice him into sin and adultery, and Joseph does the right thing. He leaves. He doesn't give in to sin and temptation. He leaves. He's, he's a righteous man, full of integrity, and even though he does the right thing, he still gets put in a bad situation. He had done nothing wrong. In fact, he had done everything right. But he was falsely accused and he was attacked. The, the, the accusation was that he attacked Potiphar's wife. And then because of that, they put him in prison. So now he's found himself in prison. I haven't done anything wrong and I was sold into slavery. I didn't do anything wrong in Potiphar's house and I was put in prison. What is this God I serve? Who, who is this and why am I having to go through all this? He might say. It wasn't caused by foolishness. It wasn't called caused by sinful choice. Now, we know that God eventually intervenes and redeems Joseph and through using a supernatural gift and giving God glory. He is brought into the palace of Pharaoh and put in charge as second in command of the whole country. So we kind of jump ahead and we know the end of the story. It all works out. But I, I don't know that Joseph felt that good when he was in prison. And not too much later, we start to get the story of this drought I was talking about in the whole region, Genesis 41, starting in verse 53, it says, the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began. Just as Joseph had said, there was famine in all other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. And when the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. And that kind of helps us again in our theological position. The famine was hitting the faithful and the unfaithful. Corona hit the faithful and the unfaithful. You know, when I was on my trip recently, I was doing a, a Q&A session before a congregation. And, you know, some people just love to jump into wanting some concrete answers. And, of course, what they're going to do is they're going to jump either into eschatology. They're going to want you to figure out everything for them or 
They're going to want to know about the rapture and all the stuff that the Bible doesn't exactly pinpoint how and when that is going to happen. And so the wise thing to do at that moment is to say, listen, I will quote you everything it does say, and I will not guess on anything it doesn't say. But they wanted to know, they, they wanted to know about the rapture at that moment. And they said, you know, pastor, do you think we'll get raptured up before anything bad happens? And so you have to have a little bit of sechel, a little bit of like Holy Spirit wisdom of the moment, right? There's a crowd about this big. And I just said, listen, rather than to answer that specific moment, it, we would do better to look at the patterns of the Bible. The patterns of the Bible show that hardship can hit the faithful and the unfaithful. You could say, look at the prophets. Look at the patriarchs and the matriarchs. Look at the disciples. Look what happened to everybody. If they had held that position, it would have broken their theology. We could even look at the Passover. And as you know, we're going to go through the 10 plagues, right? But never forget that the first three plagues hit Egypt and Israel. Maybe that's something to keep in mind. And I've always said, listen, it's a pretty easy formula for me as a risk management-minded person. If you're ready and prepared and something bad happens, you're ready and prepared. But if you're not ready and prepared and something bad happens, you're in a bad position. But if you're ready and prepared and nothing bad happens, great. I feel like we win on both sides of that. But here it's hitting the faithful and the unfaithful, and it's, it's good to get that, that position in your spirit because the gospel is being preached wrong today. It's being preached incorrectly from the scripture that somehow you say yes to Yeshua and that's the last time you'll ever face hardship. It's actually the other way around. Satan is not that worried about you when you don't believe in Yeshua. He will not attack you very much. He'll leave you to your own devices. But the minute you say yes to Yeshua, he's on the attack. And that better be how you hear the gospel. Be ready to fight. That's why you have a sword. That's why you have armor and a helmet. Right? He didn't say, welcome to the kingdom. Here's a pillow and a non-alcoholic pina colada. Sechel. Did you see that? how I did that? Non-alcoholic pina colada. That was wise. Because I don't know who's here. I don't know who's watching. That could have offended someone. Now, because of this big drought, you know that Jacob and all of his uh, family had to send the 70 people eventually to Egypt. They had to go ask. And of course, they began to interact with Joseph, although they don't know it's Joseph. But at that moment, Jacob and his family hadn't necessarily done anything wrong. It was, it was impacting the whole region, but they still were impacted and they had to go and get some food. And as their family grew larger and they moved to Egypt, they spent 400 years there as was prophesied to Abraham. 
And during that time, they still hadn't done anything wrong, and yet they were put in slavery. This pattern is quite frequent in the Bible. They hadn't done anything wrong. They hadn't sinned. They haven't chosen foolishly. And they were enslaved once they were in Egypt. And you say, well, what was the motive of the slavery? Well, it's right here in the text. I'm, I'm in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pitom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields and all their harsh labor. The Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Israel finds themselves under growing oppression, but what did they do? What, what had they done wrong? Nothing. But they were still in a challenging position. So what did they do when they found themselves in this challenging position? That's actually the beginning of the Passover story. That's where it actually starts. Long before the plagues and the blood and all of that, the Passover story starts when Israel realizes they are trapped. And the story begins. You know, God does not intervene as our deliverer until we find ourselves in a hard situation. And then we cry out for him for deliverance. Did you know that principle about the Bible? Some of the greatest attributes of God would never be displayed if we weren't in a bad situation. We only know God's deliverance because we needed to be delivered from something. Otherwise, we would have never known him as the deliverer. But the same is true of forgiveness. We know him as the great forgiver, but only because we have sinned. We know his great mercy only because we needed it. We know his great patience only because we needed that also. So in some ways, we're a little bit grateful that we got to know the Lord in these ways. He's not the cause of all of our problems, of course, but we are grateful that we get to know him in these ways. So what did Israel do? Because now I'm about to give you some tools. What did they do? They hadn't done anything wrong. They found themselves oppressed. Exodus 2, verse 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. You see, God moves on behalf of his people. We continue in the next verse. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Are you catching God's heart here? His people are trapped, whether it be sin, a bad relationship, a bad financial position, trapped in some way you can't figure out how to get out. Maybe you put yourself there with foolishness, or maybe you didn't put yourself there but you're still there. And you say, well, how do I get out of this moment? And the Bible gives you the answer. You cry out to God. 
That's how you get out of it. You cry out with an earnest heart, not a fake heart and not a begrudging heart. But for many of us, I think I want you to hear the compassion because some of us have been in these hard moments a very long time and you're losing hope. It was even mentioned in the verse 23. It said during that long period. See those little nuggets? Don't miss those little nuggets. During that long period where they wanted to give up, they finally cried out and turned to God. And God's heart is displayed. What does the Bible say? He heard them. He remembered the covenant. He looked at them, and he was concerned about them. And now we will see what God will do about this situation and how his actions follow his heart. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. He said, I indeed have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way that the Egyptians are oppressing them. Did you catch that? There's a nugget, another nugget there that says, I heard their cry, and then I did something about it. What it says is, I heard their cry, and I came down. This expression follows a consistent pattern of God's coming to dwell with his people. And we can go back through lots of these stories in the garden. He walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He came down. When he met with Abraham in the middle of the day at his tent with the three visitors, two angels, one Yeshua, he came down. He later meets with Moses. He meets with the 70 elders of Israel on the mountain to have a covenant meal. He meets with Joshua as the commander of the Lord's army. He meets with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. In their moment that they did not cause, but they were still challenging, he heard their cry and he came down. Yeshua's earthly ministry is another demonstration of hearing the cry of the people and coming down. And of course, in the future age, we will find him, according to the Bible's text, Revelation 21 and 22, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. This heaven and earth will pass away. There'll be a new one. There'll be a new Jerusalem. And it says that new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God and lands on the new earth. And then Yeshua comes down. And he will dwell with us to be our God. There'll be no sun because we don't need it. We didn't need it in creation either, by the way. Remember day one, two, and three, we had no sun, but we had light. And there'll be no temple because we won't need that either because he's right there, right? He comes down. I remembered also from Exodus chapter six, one of the famous four promises of God during the Passover. What does he say as a promise? He says, I will bring you out. I will free you from the Egyptians. I will redeem you from slavery, and I will take you as my own people. 
I'm emphasizing that God heard their cry, that the people were in slavery, that God acted to save them, and he came down. This is important because as we follow the Passover story, we see that it becomes a template for the salvation process that we now know of. And now you really got to lock into this because we're going to close with an important bite of the meal. Because the Lord is putting a banquet table in front of us and we need to take this bite. I want you to follow me in this process, this prophetic process of how Passover laid out the salvation story for us. The Israelites were in sin not because they had done anything, but because of sin generally. And we find ourselves enslaved to sin. Even if you had never done anything wrong, you were still going to have sin in your life. They were slaves, we are slaves. We cry out to God in our desperate moment. So did they. And God hears the cry and he comes down. If you're a believer in Yeshua today, you know he came down to you. He heard your cry and he came and visited you. Now, maybe you're, you're not a believer in Yeshua tonight. Maybe you're here in the audience as a visitor or maybe you're watching online and you say, I've heard about this Yeshua. I don't know so much that I believe in, in Yeshua being God, the Messiah, the Savior. And I'm letting you know the truth. The truth is that the believers in the house tonight, we cried out to God and he came down. And if you've ever wondered what it might feel like to meet God, don't try to meet him on your own terms. Just cry out to him and tell him you're a slave. You're a slave to a life you can't control. You're a slave to sin that you cannot conquer. You're a slave to depression you don't know how to overcome. You're a slave to a cycle of bad decisions that you wish you could do better from. Tell him that. And if you will cry out to God with a genuine heart, you will get a chance to see how God comes down. Israel was saved by the blood of the lamb on the door. We're saved by the blood of the lamb. They went through the waters of the Red Sea as a symbol of immersion. We went through the waters of immersion to die to the old self and to rise a new creation. They found themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai receiving the law of God. And when we said yes to Yeshua and went through water, we find ourselves with the word of God saying, yes, I will submit to that. It's a good word. They, they had the word given. They had a choice to make. We had the word given. We have a choice to make. They had their character transformed in the desert for 40 years. We were in the middle of having our character transformed right now. Sometimes you don't like how long that desert part is. But if you will cry out to God, He'll come down. God moved them toward the promised land. God is moving you toward your promised land. Their destiny was to be in the land of Israel, and your destiny is something that God created and gave you as a gift.
you were a slave. You cried out. Yeshua came down. You were saved by his blood. You were washed through the water. You were given the word to submit to. Your character is being formed, and God is putting you on the path toward your destiny. That's the Passover story. God laid out the salvation plan right there. And that's why we don't just come into the new covenant age and disconnect ourselves from all of God's word, all of his laws, all of his commandments and holidays and festivals and, and rituals. We don't disconnect from those because they show us what we're supposed to know. See the goodness in God's word. All of these elements are found in the Passover story. And all of these elements that you're going to encounter this week, whether you're doing a Seder at your house or community group or with us, all of the elements have a great depth of meaning. The plagues, they all mean something because they defeated every god of the Egyptians. Don't throw that away just because it's in the Old Testament. If you need God to defeat an idol in your life, you should care about the plagues. The Seder elements on the plate, every one of them means something. And it should have a, a depth of meaning for you. The process of deliverance, the goodness of God, the starting over. But let's never forget where this story started. It started with the Israelites finding themselves in a bad situation that maybe they didn't cause. And they finally, after 400 years, reacted the way they needed to react. And that was, they cried out to God. And he came down. He met them. And he gave them the salvation story. My question to you as we close tonight, and our prayer team is already making their way forward, what do you need to cry out to God for today? This is a great time of year to do this. What situation are you in that you can't get out of? You're feeling trapped. Maybe you did something, maybe you didn't, but you still feel trapped. It really doesn't matter to the person who's trapped how they got there. They still gotta cry out to God. What is it today that you need to cry out to God for? What do you need his deliverance from? Yeshua would love today, he would love to be your deliverer. I'm telling you, his heart is beating right now. He's saying, I want to be your deliverer. Will you give me a chance tonight? And that's where our prayer team is waiting for you. Let's close with this phrase, then we're going to worship. The change agent of any hurtful situation is the prayer from the heart that cries out to God for deliverance. That's the change agent. That's what changes the whole situation. It's not even us figuring it out as us crying out to God for deliverance. Let him be the God he is. Let him be the deliverer he wants to be tonight. Would you stand? Let me pray a blessing over you. We're going to worship. Our prayer team is ready. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for being our creator, our father, our God, our savior, our deliverer, our redeemer from slavery the lamb that was slain at Passover for us 
Certainly John the Immerser, he knew. When he saw Yeshua, he said, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew. God, you not only delivered us from slavery, from the army of the Egyptians, you split the sea that we could walk right through it. You gave us your good law. You helped us to develop our character. You brought us to the promised land. It's all there. And Father, I just want to pray a prayer of humility over our people, that there would be nobody watching on, online or in the house tonight that is stubborn, that nobody who is giving in to pride or stubbornness or arrogance tonight, if we would just cry out to you and say, we're trapped, we don't know how to do this, would you save us, God? What an incredible night this could be for them, that you would hear their cry, that you would come down. The God of all creation would dare to come down to earth and visit his people. Give us the boldness and the courage tonight to do it. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.